I'm Martin Watts, retired academic at the University of Newcastle. I'm an emeritus professor, so I maintain my links with the university in terms of supervision and research. Good afternoon, Martin, and welcome to Blind Insights. Thank you very much for inviting me on. We are not macro people, so we're going to start with something that we always find interesting because Tim being a young person just finished uni and me being a blind person, unemployment and underemployment are things that the ghost of them often wiggles its toes past us. Today you're making the point that you know there are schools of economics that will go, well, 5% unemployment is fine. This is the best it can ever be. And you made the point, well, why is that acceptable? Why should that be acceptable to anyone? Would you just like to start by unpacking these ideas and we'll go from there? Maybe? Well, the first point to make is that 5% official unemployment represents a much higher rate of overall labour utilisation. The reason being that the conditions that need to be satisfied by somebody to be classified as unemployed are quite stringent. Indeed, if they've worked one hour in the uh, survey week, they're they're not classified as unemployed. But putting that issue aside, of course, unemployment is also accompanied by, certainly over the last 10, 15 years, by relatively high rates of underemployment. That is, workers who are in jobs but are working less hours than they want. In addition to that, of course, there are also people who are discouraged, who are not participating, so they're not classified as employed or unemployed. So if the unemployment, the official unemployment rate is 5%, then you can at the very least double it if you're trying to get some sort of measure of overall labour underutilisation. And just by way of aside, ideally, if you want a robust measure of underutilisation. You would want to measure uh, desired additional hours by the unemployed in terms of hours and likewise take account of the unemployed as to whether they're seeking part-time or full-time work and actually have an hours-based measure. Um, and then that, that is much more robust than saying, well, 8.5% of the labour force want more hours of work, which I think is about the figure for underemployment. Some may only want three hours of additional work. But they want at least some. They want yeah. some. So you can frame it differently in terms of 13.5% of the labour force want additional work but it doesn't actually measure that quantum that they want. So uh, 5% unemployment by itself may sound may sound acceptable. It wouldn't be acceptable to no, me. It doesn't sound acceptable to us, which is why we thought we'd ask you about it. <laughs> Indeed. But when you also add on these other components of labour underutilisation, you clearly have an impro- a problem of insufficient work. Um, So, and the other point to make, of course, is that around the late 60s in Australia, the unemployment rate was 2 to 3%. Now, the world has changed fundamentally since the late 60s, but there is not a plausible explanation as to why countries should have to settle 
for 5% or more unemployment. And indeed, Phil Lowe, the Reserve Bank governor, has made the point that we do need additional stimulus through fiscal policy, and ideally the, we should get the rate of unemployment down to 4.5%, and then we would have a higher rate of inflation, which is the concern, at least for central bankers. I would say that with the introduction of a job guarantee and the administrative apparatus to actually implement a job guarantee, then we should be looking more at about 2% official unemployment and zero underemployment. What I've always been told in neoclassical terms, this is by someone who used to work on Wall Street, is that you either have that level of unemployment or you have debt, which in MMT has a very different context. I'm interested to know whether it changes a lot, whether in in a more classical or even a Keynesian approach, whether that is true, that that relationship between debt and uh, unemployment is exactly... um, uh, You're talking about public debt. So in other words, government running deficits. Well, the, the point about public debt, which has been well illustrated in the aftermath of the GFC, is that countries which are can be described as currency sovereign, can essentially always repay their debt because it's denominated in Australian dollars and the holder of the debt, the the individuals, foreign investors or domestic investors who've bought the debt will be paid back in the domestic currency in in the currency that the debt is denominated in. So there is no financial constraint on government spending. Now, this is not a new idea. Greenspan, who was the Fed Reserve Reserve governor before Bernanke, acknowledged this a very long time ago. Now, Alan Greenspan, he was very much a model... Sorry, I've read things that he loved to create economic models and see what would happen in the model if he tweaked... I guess, variables. Is it fair to say that when we talk about unemployment there, we can either analyse what people do or we can hypothesise what would be a nice-looking model of an economy and that we'd get very different data doing the two things? That that people don't behave like the models predict they would. That people might want enough hours to be okay but they don't want to work 50 hours a week. That, you know... People would rather more time with their small children and they're more labour later, so they want flexibility across their career. Uh, do these kind of things come out effectively in modelling on employment or do we really need to survey people better? That's an interesting question. I think with a job guarantee, then, I mean, there is an enormous challenge in, in terms of having that administrative capacity in place before you introduce a job guarantee. But there is the uh, apparatus in place in terms of Centrelink. Mm. Now, it's got a very different role currently, mm. but that could be changed over a period of time so that they would... And you've got people that, and resources and they'd probably like to be productive. Absolutely. Now, the, the point I'm leading to is the fact that if you don't have a job guarantee and you are in some sense committed to some notion of full employment as a treasurer, 
then you've got to take an inspired guess as to how much stimulus the economy needs. And that obviously can be a combination of additional spending, uh, additional taxing or providing subsidies to firms to do whatever. With a job guarantee, and you may well have a series of major projects you want to introduce, it may be you know, better funding of universities, improved healthcare, dental treatment being part of the Medicare system and, and so on and so forth. Clearly, you want to ensure that that additional expenditure is consistent with not pumping up the rate of inflation. But then the residual labour will reveal itself in terms of them coming to a job guarantee office and saying, well, look, I do have six hours a week work here, but I want to actually work 20 hours a week and I'd like to pick up a job guarantee job. So in other words, the behaviour of people in this somewhat new environment of full employment, if the administrative structures are in place and indeed the jobs have been worked out as to what is appropriate, which will be very much determined at the local level. You would need like a case officer who actually cares about people. Exactly. you have to respond to an individual person. Yeah. Yeah. And there would be, one would hope, some degree of choice in terms of, you know, what they do. And that's the the smaller the community, perhaps the less choice an individual would have. And then people's preferences don't have to have to be really and well they could have to be anticipated up to a point in a sort of aggregate sense for a particular area and they simply reveal their preferences by coming in and saying well I want six hours a week or I want a full-time job or whatever and the challenge of course is to be as the case officer to be able to you know fit the bits of the jigsaw together in terms of different people wanting different hours of work and types of work and so on. Now, with the job guarantee, again, we talked to Stephen a little bit about this, I think the second time he came on the podcast with us, that you know, part of this is to make sure you're not giving companies money to take people on where it's only because it was subsidised for a while. So the company doesn't invest in the person, they don't build that person into their future. This is about empowering people, not giving free money to companies. Is there room with a job guarantee, do you think, to, you know, if someone's desperate thing was to say, you know, get into the fashion industry, could the state legitimately, do you think, you know, fund traineeships attached to companies or is that a step back into sort of more like the neoliberal model we've been in of saying everything should be solved by the private sector? Is there a room for an in-between place with job guarantee? Well, I think job subsidies are... Very difficult to um, implement in a way where you're getting genuine increases in employment. I mean, there is a a cynicism on the part of firms. I mean, there's been the case recently of um, a fast food company that had their employees on continuous traineeships, which was a a government-funded activity. Yeah. and they weren't getting any training, but they were getting below uh, mm. the, the appropriate wages. Mm. And, you know, attempting to ensure that there is a net increase in employment in that company 
and to ensure that the company just doesn't turn people over when their period of traineeship yeah, finishes. Get the next yes, that that's a real problem. So that's why the job guarantee really needs to be local and work that has a, a you know a social or a, you know, environmental value, but doesn't contribute to pre-existing companies. If they're doing their thing, they should do their thing well. And the fact that through the job guarantee, more people are earning more money and can spend with more confidence knowing they've got their job guarantee next week too until they find a, you know, a better paid or more interesting you know, private job, the extra certainty that would bring to spending in the economy, it seems to me, would be really significant. And particularly in sort of you know, depressed post-industrial areas of major cities, like you know, so many of you guys with the conference this weekend coming from Newcastle, there must have been a period in Newcastle as industry was winding down where this ability to get these kind of jobs could have made all the difference. You know, I'm from Gawler, north of Adelaide, and we used to have the car industry halfway between Gawler and Adelaide. So, you know, Elizabeth is now missing thousands of jobs from the death of, you know, Holden. And you see in these places where people could have got jobs in the meantime that paid well enough to keep their life intact, their sense of purpose intact, didn't put undue pressure on their family, maintained their skills, kept them looking employable, kept them motivated the potential flow on there socially, culturally and eventually economically because, you know, private companies would have got better, more motivated people who'd not lost their mojo would be really significant, I think. Am I missing anything big or am I putting too good a spin on this? No, I think you've uh, you've uh, given us a very good advertisement for the job guarantee. <laughs> yeah, what are... Okay, that's all the positives. What are the real dangers with it, do you think? What do we need to be careful of if we were you know, a brave country that tried to implement? You know, obviously, the Argentinians tried to apply this with, you know, what was it, male head of households, and it was massively successful. They found a culturally appropriate way, got wrecked as a program, which was terrible because it had been working really well. What do we need to be careful of, do you think, if we were brave? Well, let me just make a quick comment on Argentina. In fact, the take-up was mainly of females, even though it was oh, wow. very much because okay. men found it much easier to get, you know, some hours of work. Okay. But, yes, it was very successful. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, there has never been a comprehensive, ongoing job guarantee program. Um, Argentina, you know, obviously finished and... Uh, the rural poor, say in India. And India is a different kind of thing. It's a isn't different, it? and it's you know confined to the rural poor. Yeah. Um, the, I think the dangers are uh, in terms of administration to some degree that they've really got they've really got to plan it well and be very tuned in to what's going on in you know the sort of you have to love being market. local, don't you? You'd almost need to love your local community to see the opportunities. Yeah, and yeah. here council can play an important role. Yeah. But, <clears throat> the, I mean, one of the really important points, I mean, it sort of came up indirectly in Bill's first talk, was the fact that it can be thought that the job guarantee is the answer to the complete unemployment problem. No, it's just a first step to not let people fall down the cracks is how I see it. Well, it is, but, you know, if government is released from this alleged financing constraint, then if it is a government with any sort of metal, 
then it's got plans to improve the health service, to improve education, to invest in research and development and so on. And those, you know, those jobs are ongoing public sector jobs attracting market wages. And then the job guarantee is essentially picking up the residual. And we want that pool of job guarantee workers relatively small. Yeah, now you want them getting out of it into other jobs that yeah. have the certainty. Yes, and I mean, this explains why the job guarantee pays a minimum wage, because you want essentially a sort of fluid labour market. Yeah. So, I mean, there may be some people who are very instrumental in terms of work and choose to stay in the job guarantee but they know what they're choosing. They they're know choosing what they're minimum choosing. wage, and maybe they choose twenty-five hours a week for the rest of their life. Because really, what they want to do is play their violin and grow their beans. Exactly. But that's okay. That, no, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want. We don't every want ten thousand jo- of them. No. But we can well, have a few. Abs- absolutely. And you know, if the if the private sector recovers, and you then ideally you want to get that movement of people out of the job guarantee into the private sector. So the real As thing such. is doing it in balance. You need to know what are we doing to grow other public goods as well as what are we doing to make sure the private sector can absorb the motivated, talented people who want a higher-paying job. So it's really going to be part of a, a raft of yeah. integrated policy. Yeah, and the other point I was going to make, and this tended to get sort of lost when we were writing... Ooh, over 10 years ago, uh, I mean, there was a survey of councils undertaken as part of a research project we were doing. And the uh, economic development officers at those councils were invited to nominate a whole load of jobs that could be done under a job guarantee where there is no cost imposed on the council. And I mean, that apparently, and I wasn't involved in the survey itself, was a very difficult shift in mindset for the economic development officers who were so used to saying, oh, you know, we can't afford this out of the budget. How can we cost shift and, you know, impose it on another tier of government? And we would talk about you know various forms of care care of the elderly so they can stay in their homes yeah in terms of assisting them with their shopping or doing just some, visiting are they okay making sure they've taken their medicine seeing if they need a road trip to go down the main street that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. and that that it seems all very warm and sort of social need that should be met but really it is not a job guarantee job because if you have an upturn in the private sector, these people leave. And you may have and no you may one willing be. to do the job. Uh, so oh it's, it's, yes, the, yeah. that's something that it tends to be forgotten. It's got volatility. So right? we really so need be to be very careful that there are things where the volatility, so you can't use it to backfill aged care. Wow. You can't use it to backfill school support officers. You, know, mm. you need those to be the jobs that people maybe move from job guarantee to them as their more permanent job because they've chosen it rather than it being one of these emergency available positions. Exactly. So so it is a challenge. Yeah. In some respects, so does it have to always be something that should only be in the public 
sector then? In, like you were bringing up before, David, the private sector example of training people up to Yeah, if you want to do a very specific thing. Yeah. And that, again, the traineeship thing does seem to be problematic. The companies that want to find talent just do it anyway. Yeah. And the rest look for what's the economic and advantage, not what's the social human advantage. And, and searching for their people would also be something somewhat volatile in the sense Precisely. that if they had an upturn, they would be looking for more people to train up and yeah. if they had a downturn. so And then that would then fluctuate for the, yeah. the training guarantee, let's say. So they need to be doing that themselves in the yeah. same way yep. that aged care or childcare or school support office need to be the job you step up to because you want to do it. However, you could set up a system where their job guarantee could fund them going to do the vocational training. Well, I think so. Yeah. Again, could training, what do you think? Could training be a part of it, Mark? Well, training. Can you train can people t- as part of their hours? Certainly, it, in terms of job guarantee jobs, yes, training can be a component of it. There's no problem with that. The problem, I guess, which is perceived by orthodoxy, is that you know when you look at the composition of the unemployed in terms of say educational qualifications and work experience of course the most poorly educated individuals and those who've had perhaps very limited work experience because of periods of unemployment are the unemployed i mean yeah. so that in a sense there's a select well there's clearly a selection process going on yeah so the orthodox response to that is, well, the first priority is training. Yeah. And then, of course, the question is, well, training for what when there aren't any jobs? Yeah. So the uh, sequence has got to be the other way around. You know, you're an able-bodied person. You're capable of doing this Let's job. get you moving and then get train you, you up after. And if we need to train you yep. and it's something you're interested in and yep. you may be looking for a similar role in the private sector down the track, yep. then that is a really a win-win. Like you need enhanced computer skills to transition across. Let's get you that course. You need enhanced numeracy. Let's get you that skill. Yeah, yeah we but in, the, in. In, a, in a job environment, not go and do a three-hour course and then you'll be ready for a job. Yeah, or the, exist. or the combination where you do the, the classroom training, you know you're going to get a day a week as part of your job, guarantee. You're getting some experience. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it needs to be so integrated, it can't be spoken about as a, an isolated thing. And I think that's been great talking to you to realise that the problem is that it shouldn't be seen on its own. The problem is working out how to successfully integrate it because that's the only way to do it responsibly. Exactly, yeah. Now, is there any question you wish we'd asked you? <laughs> oh, gosh, where do I start? Well, <laughs> no, I think given the time of day and you guys have been behind the microphone for quite some time, we probably should leave it and I'll talk to you again in the future. Well, I was going to say, good. if you have something tomorrow that you suddenly want us to ask you about, just come and grab us. Come yeah, and do I'm the second bad. one. Yeah. yeah, I'm actually going tomorrow morning okay we'll give you our, car- our cards when yeah. we get off air and uh, Martin thank you very much for joining us today and helping us to make more sense of unemployment what we can do and how careful we might need to be if we go down the very positive path of a job guarantee mm. well thank you for talking to me I've enjoyed it thank, thank you. you hello listeners if you're enjoying our podcast please subscribe and like our Facebook page Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. 
Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out.